Welcome to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. This is Brent Dax from Syracuse.com. Our Syracuse.com video, 1987 Syracuse football, stories from an undefeated season, brought us bold predictions. My roommate, Cooper Gardner, Syracuse football, 1987, 11-0. But we come in the locker room, I never forget this. Chris Ingram says, oh my God, we can win them all. Stories from big games. The Auburn defense was the best defense we saw by far. They were bigger than us, they were faster than us, but they weren't better than us. And utter disbelief. A tie. If you watched our video, we thank you. But as you can imagine, not everything we gathered from former players Don McPherson, Daryl Johnston, Blake Bednars, and Jeff Mangrum made the cut. Here now in Episode 1 of Syracuse Sports are more stories from 1987 Syracuse football undefeated season. One of my favorite moments from our 1987 video was how former Orange Safety Jeff Mangrum told the story about how his former teammate exclaimed that they could win them all after just one game, the opening game of the season against Maryland. Now, having gone five and six the season before in 1986, as Mangrum tells it, the seeds of that confidence to go undefeated in 1987 were planted with a gift from head coach Dick McPherson. Coach McPherson gave us an 0-4 pin to remind us of where we had been. He gave it to us at the end of the 1986 season because we, we ended up 5-6. and six. So believe it or not, Brent, that, believe it or not, is one of the moments that I look back at my mind now and says something turned for us. I remember we were 0-4. Um, none of us were satisfied, and we couldn't believe it because we had worked hard. We had done what the coaches asked but we didn't execute at the level we wanted to. And I think by feeling um, serious defeat, um, being exposed, being zero and four, being embarrassed to be 0-4, never again. Syracuse's undefeated 1987 season is best remembered for three games. The 48-21 win over arch-rival Penn State, first time Syracuse had beaten the Nittany Lions in 16 years. The thrilling two-point conversion to beat West Virginia at the end of the season. Tight end is Kelly to the near side. Syracuse trails 31 to 30 with 10 seconds to go for a two-point conversion. Donnie McPherson, long count, option to the other side of the field. He pitches to Owen. Yes! Yes! And of course, the Sugar Bowl that ended in a tie against Auburn. Thanks, Pat Dye. For a season like that, for a team like that to go undefeated, though, there's all these small moments that the players, there's all these smaller moments that you may or may not know about. Like the fourth game of the season, when Syracuse trailed 21-0 at halftime against Virginia Tech. Former Orange fullback Daryl Johnson, who of course played with the Dallas Cowboys and is now a Fox broadcaster, and former Orange offensive lineman Blake Bednars, tell us the message they got in that locker room. To me, it was the greatest halftime motivational ploy I have, I have ever experienced in all my playing days. So normally the, the halftime routine is the defense and off, offense breaks, breaks down, we break the teams up. Offense has their halftime meeting, defense has their halftime meeting. Nobody spoke a word, you could hear a pin drop. All of a sudden, it was in uh, one of those big eight-foot chalkboards on wheels. You see DeLeon, Coach DeLeon writing something on the backside of the 
chalkboard. He walks in, writes the word character on the board, underlines it, and he goes, we're going to see if you guys have any of this today, and just walked away. Sometimes the simple message is most effective. Now, that was a halftime speech. One of the biggest games of the 1987 season, of course, was Penn State. The Nittany Lions had come in, Joe Paterno, and everything that we knew about those white helmets and those dreaded Nittany Lions. They had beaten Syracuse 16 straight times. We heard from Blake Bednars and Daryl Johnson about a halftime speech. Before that game, though, emotions were stirring and stirring hard. First Jeff Mangrum, then Blake Bednars will tell you about some pregame speeches the Orange got before that amazing game against Penn State. On the bus, I'm going over to the game, no laugh. I never forget, there was this silence that was deafening. There was this energy, there was this storm about to build. There was this kind of rage that we had to let out. I'm going to call it like it is. For us, it was payback time. Somebody had to pay. The day before that, Coach Mack did something else that was genius, Coach McPherson. He had the coaches talk with us, the assistant coaches. He never did that before. I'll never forget this. Coach Brooks stood up and talked about how hard he had worked in the program, how hard we had worked to build the program to where we are. I think we're 5-0 and going into 6-0 against Penn State. Coach Brooks starts to cry in the meeting. You, you could hear us say, look, the coaches and the players had a, a, a cantankerous relationship, right? <laughs> we loved each other, but we hated each other, and we made it work. But when we saw Coach Brooks cry, it became personal. At least for me, it did. That's my coach there crying. Somebody's going to pay. And I, I'm, I'm thinking, like, have you seen Brent Musburger? Who, what's he look like? I look over, and he looked a little older. Sorry, Brent. He looked much older than he did on TV back then. But he, cut, he stood up and addressed the team. He goes, men, I've been to a lot of campuses, a lot of games, the Michigan-Ohio State games of the world, the Miami-Florida State games of the world. He goes, I could tell you something. You guys have something special here. There's an electricity when you step off of that, that bus. You could just feel it on the campus around the dome because you guys are on the edge of something great. So I thought that was pretty, pretty neat. You know, here's Brett Musburger who does all these, these major games, you know, the significant games around the country. And um, we were on to something special. And, and I would agree with, with that locker room. There was something special about that. We had a point to prove and nobody was going to stop us. And Syracuse proved that right from the get-go. 80 yards, Don McPherson to Rob Moore. And they were off and running on the way to a 48-21 victory over Penn State. Bye-bye winning streak, Nittany Lions. Now McPherson, for his style, is a running quarterback, but he does also possess a strong arm. Some rival coaches have said he's one of the more exciting quarterbacks in all of college football. Your impression of him, Pat? Well, I think he's more than a one-dimensional quarterback, which you don't see much in college football anymore. Unlike most option quarterbacks, he can drop back in the pocket and deliver the ball downfield. Remember, Gustafelis is not in there defensively. Eddie Johnson is out. Two new corners for Joe Paterno. And McPherson will go to work against them right away. Down deep, down the middle. McPherson to Moore, one of the more famous plays of that season for sure, other than that two-point conversion at the end of the season from Don McPherson to Michael Owens. After that Penn State game, 
some Heisman buzz really started to build for Donnie McPherson. And there are many who will go to their grave believing that he had a Heisman Trophy stolen from him in 1987. Daryl Johnson is one of those people. If the Heisman Trophy means what it's supposed to mean, that this is the best college football player in the country, which means if this guy is removed from that team, what happens to that team? If you take Donnie McPherson away from the Syracuse Orangemen, we don't come close to 11-0-1. If you take Tim Brown from Notre Dame, I think there's a lot of talent around there. That uh, Not to diminish what Tim was as a football player at Notre Dame, but what Donnie meant to our team far surpassed what Tim meant to his team. So what did Don McPherson think about losing the Heisman in 1987? I, I was not. I went into the Heisman Trophy, the whole thing, um, feeling like one of the luckiest people on earth. And I didn't think I was going to win it. Uh, though everybody was telling me that, that I was going to win it. Um, I can't say that I didn't care, but I was probably the most ambivalent Heisman Trophy candidate that's ever been. Because where we where we had come from and where I had come from as a quarterback that no one wanted to, to you know have a black quarterback at their school and, and all the things that I had dealt with to get to that point to be in New York I'm a New Yorker to be in New York at the Heisman Trophy in the room with, with these guys I I had not not one ounce of disappointment when I, and when they said Tim Brown's name I kind of we all kind of all expected it was going to be Tim. I was messing around with him five minutes later. I was messing around during the commercial break. When I look at his shoes, I'm like, man, I really need to win this award, man. Look at my shoes. And I was saying things like that because I was, I was not going to let that moment pass with not have, without having fun. There's too much angst and stress in, in this game to not have fun in the places where, where, you, where you can have fun. I remember you know, uh, uh, President Reagan called him, and I said, is Bush going to call me? Do I, do I get the vice president at least? I mean, things like that where I, re I remember, I remember because that was my Heisman. My Heisman was having fun in not winning the Heisman. And so I, I remember those things because, um, you know, to this day when people say I should have won the Heisman, I'm like, no, I shouldn't have. The guy who won it won it, and the guy who won it deserved it. That 1987 season was undefeated, but there's, but there's something extra at the end of that record. 11, 0, and 1. Yes, the tie. The Sugar Bowl against Auburn. Pat Dye does the unthinkable. Ties the game at the end. But what I really enjoyed hearing from these players when we asked them about that game was, was they all got an apology at some point from someone on that Auburn team or Auburn fans down the road. Pat Dye. <laughs> I was I was at, at, at University of Miami and saw Stacy Searles, who's an offensive line coach down at, at Miami's at Georgia with Mark Mark Richton, um, and he came up to me and, and uh, he said, "I got to tell you, I just ran to Coach Die a couple." And, and Stacy was an offensive lineman at Auburn, and he said, "I ran to Coach Die and, and uh, I gave him an earful because I'm still and my teammates and I were still mad that we went for the tie." And, and this is something that I've, I've, I've been able to process with a lot of all those Auburn guys. They hated it. You know, they wanted to go for the win. They hated going for the tie. When I say the name Pat Dye, what comes to mind? I actually played uh, with Tommy Agee uh, in Dallas early on, and he was an Auburn grad, and we talked about it a little bit. And he gave me some insight into why the decision was made. Um, Pat Dye was not happy that we quick kicked twice. Uh, I think he felt that that was not a uh, an aggressive style of game planning, uh, but it had been very effective for us in games, um, and and he really did not want to lose to a team that he felt was playing a very conservative style of football. 
So there's a difference in opinion on, on how we approached it. If we were backed up, we quick kicked a lot. It was real simple. And trust me, I lobbied, I lobbied several times because I was not in the top of the eye at any other point. So I told our coaches, we've got to do something else in this part of the field on a third down where I'm in the top of the eye or it's a huge tell. So I lobbied for a pass play, I lobbied for a sweep, I lobbied for everything. Uh, but, but we became predictable in that situation. And so my response to him was, well, that was the only time we did it. You know, if you guys really were mad and you felt that that was a very conservative style of play, you should have had something designed specifically for that situation where you could have blocked the kick. We were out at dinner with my parents. My, my parents and I were out at dinner, and I remember some Auburn fans coming up to our table and apologizing. Look, we, we dealt with it internally, and, and it was a tough pill to swallow. It was. And now you fast forward a month or two later, and there's this big tie raised. Syracuse, they had this Y94, one of the radio shows, had this big tie fundraiser. Do you remember that? Or I do no? remember that. So they, yeah. everybody ship your ugliest tie, we'll ship it down to town to Auburn. So anyways, and, and, and kudos to them for being creative. So they took all the ties, Pat Dye signed them, and they sold them to the Booster Club. Did you hear that story? They were charity. They raised money for charity, for the right? booster, It was yeah. for the Booster Club. The boosters, it, okay. wasn't, it wasn't for charity. They sold them to the Boosters, and they raised them for the Booster Club. So not only it was like 4000 so they raised another, what, forty grand or whatever for charity or Booster Club, whatever it was. So, I, like I said, kudos to them. The ironic piece, I was in New Jersey in bit on business two or three years ago recently, and I struck up a conversation with, with one of my counterparts down, down south, and he said, hey, do you, um, where'd you go? You're a big guy. You play football. I said, played at Syracuse. He was, oh, man, I'm an Auburn fan. I'm like, oh, man, don't get me started. He goes, man, first of all, I got to tell you, he goes, we're sorry to this day that that run that ran Pat died out of town. So I'm like, rightfully so. I said, uh, yeah, and, and I said, I said again, I give him credit for the whoever came up with the idea with the ties. And he said, the ties. How do you know about the ties? I, said, I explained the story. He was, oh man, my daddy's got one of them ties in his bar at home. I said, send me a picture of it. Sure enough, he got home. Send me a picture of the tie. I have it on my phone right now. Oh, Pat Dye, forever inspiring words we can't repeat on this podcast to follow. One last story from 1987 before we close. I asked every player on this team what they felt the legacy of the 1987 Syracuse football team would be. And they all told great stories about that. But Don McPherson stuck with me. He felt that the 1987 football team that went undefeated provided a bedrock for Syracuse football to build on. I think the legacy is when you look at Syracuse football longitudinally, you realize that every 30 years or so, something like this happens. And it was the 59 team, and we heard about the 59 team all the time. I'm sure, you know, subsequent years they heard about the 87 team, uh, you know, throughout. But you, but you also had, I would say that, that the legacy of the, of the 87 team is the 90s. And the le legacy of the 87 team all the great teams and players that came here in the 90s. Um, I'm, I'm sure many of those, you know, we started, you know, we had a bunch of like Darryl, you mentioned Darryl, you know, Darryl will tell you he was not recruited by every big time school in the country. We had a lot of guys who were over, overachievers in many ways or guys who just maximized, got the best and the most out of everything they had. Uh, and this is not to say that the guys who came here after us didn't do that, but the guys who came here after us were better than us. 
they were all better at they were better athletes they were bigger they were stronger there was more of them the old line got bigger uh, you know we just had better guys coming coming here at, at every position on both sides of the ball that, that you know that 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 came here and and so I, I think the the legacy of the A7 team is the greatness of the 90s that um, of all the players who wanted to come and be a part of the program that could go play for Auburn in Sugar Bowl. Thanks for listening to the debut episode of Syracuse Sports on Syracuse.com. Do you have an idea for a podcast, somebody you'd like us to talk to? Please share. My email address is bax at Syracuse.com. That's B-A-X-E at Syracuse.com. We'll see you next time.